Welcome back to Disney Dependent. I'm Sarah Chilcott. And I am Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh. No, you're not. Because that would be creepy, because I've had a crush on Jake Gyllenhaal since he was born. <laughs> he kind of has a square neck. Yeah. He's kind of a weird looking guy. No, he's perfect. He's very cute. He really is. And he's a hell of a talent. He is a hell of a talent. Now, that's a weird last name. Gyllenhaal? Well, I love his sister, too. What's her name? Jane Gyllenhaal? No, it's <laughs> Maggie. Oh, yeah, it is Maggie. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty cool. Is she the one in, uh, well, lots of stuff, but that real... The secretary? Yeah. That's <laughs> sure the is. one. That's the one. <laughs> that's the one that stuck. That is such an intense movie. Well, she plays his oh, sister in Donnie Darko, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's right. That's one of the best lines in all of movies. <laughs> when yeah, she says, "Why yeah. don't you suck a fuck?" Why don't you suck a fuck. And he, how do you? How does one exactly suck a fuck? Yeah. yeah. You want me to show you? And his, the dad is like, "Guys." Yeah. I mean, they're like babies there. Yeah. In that movie mm-hmm. is that movie made in the 1900s, or is it technically in the 1900s? In the 1900s. <laughs> I love calling the 90s 1900s. It is 2001. <laughs> Yeah. So just barely in this century. So speaking of the 1900s, that picture that you shared the other day, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Well, technically, Dad shared it. Then you yes. shared it. Then I shared it. We're all sharing it. Um, it's a picture of us. It's like you and your friends, and me and my friends. Basically. It's actually Emily and her friends, and I guess you it and is your more, friends. There's yeah. none of my friends right, okay. or Haley's friends. There it is. Yeah. And it's in 1997, mm-hmm. the year of our Lord. <laughs> And so anyway, you know, it's like a classic photo and a lot of our friends are tagged in it, getting a lot of messages like, oh my God, that's so, we're so old. That's so crazy. Mm -hmm. And my, uh, our newest employee at Stateside, his name is David. He's 24. (laughs) And he messaged me and goes, I wasn't even alive then. Did you drive over there and punch him in the face? Well, he lives in Nashville, so no, I did not. (gasps) Well, you know, one of my best friends was born in 94. Yeah, I mean, that. how was anyone born in 1994? How was anyone born in, like, Katie? She was 2007. That's not a year to be born in. <laughs> Here he goes. How can Here you he be? goes. James is going to rant about what years you can and can't be born in. <laughs> it just makes no sense. Like, David was, like, two when 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. Katie wasn't even alive. That's so crazy. Hayden wasn't alive. Yeah. Lauren was. Lauren was barely. I was pregnant with Hayden when that happened. So Lauren was one? Not quite. Not even? Mm Mm-hmm. Man. Let's just keep listing people who were alive and weren't alive on (laughs) 9-11. Okay. So, so. (laughs) starting with... (laughs) I was there. (laughs) You were at 9-11? I was in existence. It's a conspiracy. You did it. Yeah. Well, other than 9-11 conspiracies, um, I'm feeling good. Yeah. Feeling good. It's a really nice day. The, the what do they call it? Indian summer here in Oregon. It goes on for a while. To be fair, it doesn't even start till July. So. Well, it's not quite there yet either. It's still just summer. Yeah, it is just summer. I mean, yes, it's September and it's summer, but it's not that like. October, yeah. end of September. It's weird because we get. A very strange sort of in-between season here where it's like yeah. still warm and sunny, but also the leaves are turning. It's perfect. Everyone's the best back time to, to be school. here. Yeah, it is. Perfect. September is kind of like ideal. Yeah, it it really is like the, the best place to be, certainly in the country, maybe the world. And then the day after Halloween, just time to get a, get on out of here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, was, I, I went up to Seattle to meet some, some business partners of mine and Matt, who was one of them. Him and Matt and his wife just moved from California to Gig Harbor, Washington, mm-hmm. right outside of Tacoma. Really beautiful area. But he's like, his whole life has been spent in California. In his entire life, from the time he was a little kid till just now in Southern California. And so they, anyway, they moved to the Pacific Northwest during the summer. <laughs> it is, but it's during the summer. So it's like yeah. really hot and sunny still. And they're just like, it's so beautiful here. They're just they're 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 sweet summer children right now. Right. They don't know. 
They don't know. They don't know. Well, and the thing is, Gig Harbor is gorgeous. Gorgeous. It's like really, really wealthy. Huge houses. A lot of people that own boats. Like Oswego vibes. Yes. Yeah. But... It's a lake community, mm-hmm. and when it's not nice out, oh yeah, you live in a lake community. You live in a lake community. Now it's just wet and stormy. Wet and stormy. And... Okay, well, wet See, from all angles. And I was too. telling her is is why I was like, you need to know that it gets dark here. It <laughs> at starts get, four at four. Like you need your headlights on at four p.m. She's like, no. Truly, I know. <laughs> Remember this conversation? I know. Yeah, dude. <laughs> And and what's even more obnoxious about them and people like them is that it's not gonna it's not gonna hit their hearts the first season. No, because it's gonna be oh, it's, oh, it's kind of cozy. This is fun. No, year five. Yeah, that's where you're like okay. year five. I'm gonna kill myself. Now. Go postal. Yeah. Well, if we're gonna talk about weather, oh, ah, this just in, it's ninety degrees and sunny at not Disneyland. Oh, and it's ninety five and sunny at Disneyland. And Starting was it yesterday? Now all the Halloween decks are out. Oh for yeah, man! Yeah, season. Which is really cool because we're gonna be there in a week. <laughs> Mo week. Mo week. In Mo week. Yeah, we're gonna I be you were there. Say Moesha. September ten, eleven, and twelve. Yes. D twenty three on the eleventh. Come say hi, please. Reach out. But what I was gonna say is it's bonkers that it's like, <laughs> you know. Fun time, Halloween time. And, and it's 95. 95. <laughs> exactly what I was getting at. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Today's episode, we will be talking about the life and times of the one and only Joe Rohde. Yeah, Lots of earrings. Maybe too many. I actually, from here, I can't see the whole name on the board, and I thought it said Joe Rude. <laughs> and I thought we were going to talk about the life and times of James's longtime friend, Joe Rude. Yeah. One um, of the best last names still of all time. Yep. yep. That or Austin Crook. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Yeah, that's a great name. All right. Joe Rohde was born in Sacramento, California on September 10th, 1955. So Ooh. happy birthday in a week to Mr. Joe Rohde. 55? Yep. So ah. he was born the same, same year as dad. Disneyland. As Jimbo. Oh, yeah. and, and, and Disneyland. Disneyland. <laughs> uh, his parents were from the Hawaiian Islands, and the family went back to their homeland when Rohde was two. So he spent a lot of his childhood there. His father was actually a cameraman with such credits as Blue Hawaii oh. and The Endless Summer, speaking of no. your father. Ooh. Wait, what did he do on it? Cameraman. Oh, cute. Maybe I should stop Instagramming and listen to what you're saying. Oh, cute. <laughs> cute. Um, Rody says, if it was a film shot in Hawaii, he worked on it. He filmed President Kennedy's visit to Hawaii in June of 1963. No way. Cool. So it's kind of in his blood. <laughs> it's in his blood. He grew up in the same Honolulu neighborhood as Barack Hussein Obama. Oh. oh. Hussein, by the way. I know. I had to do that because yeah. it just, Fox News is always, they cannot help themselves. They're going to hear think... this podcast and they're going to air it. <laughs> yeah. Um, he says of the neighborhood, it was a very working class, lower middle class kind of neighborhood. Still is. My brother suffered a traumatic brain injury when he was very young. And so my parents never had any money because of medical bills. Mm. We lived in this old, vast, decrepit estate house with servants' quarters and a carriage house that had a carriage in it. Oh, my God. That's that's like what you want. I know. And so Rody found his escape through reading and being creative in this decrepit old crazy house. Guys. It's so funny how the word decrepit makes Ashley perk Happy. up. Oh, yeah. She's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. All the descriptors that would normally turn people away. Are there like, rats there? Dusty. Yeah, there's rats. <laughs> it's falling down. Yes. Like, really? Seriously. Every barn I see that's just like falling down. I'm like, I want to live I there. <laughs> the family moved to Los Angeles when Rody was in junior high as his father followed the film and TV work, which included mm. 1968's Planet of the Apes. No oh. kidding. Rody says, my dad would take me to work. He'd say, hey. You're not going to school today because we're going to go flip a car over. You got to see this. <laughs> what? That's cool. We're going to crash an airplane. We're going to blow up a bridge. You got to see this stuff. <laughs> That's he good a parenting. Bond villain or something. <laughs> <It's> awesome. <laughs> 
And so Backlots and Movie Ranches became an influential playground for Rhodey. He says, I would just kind of lurk around these places watching how things got done as a kid. Um, On the old 20th Century Fox shooting ranch, which is now Malibu Creek State Park, he says, I would just wander off on 40,000 acres of moldering old castles and trains and Davy Crockett forts and Che Guevara villages (laughs) and that whole weird stone planet of the ape city. It was an odd formative experience. Dude, that explains so much about him. Totally. (laughs) Where he gets that vision and, oh my, we'll we'll get to that, but that... That kind of sets the stage for yeah, this guy. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, so Rody graduated from a California prep school in 73, where he was obviously very involved in drama productions. He gives a lot of credit for his successful career to his education at Occidental College of L.A. It's a weird name. It is. It's a little too close to Accidental. accidental. Yes. Yeah. And they, an they refer college. to it as Oxy, too. So oh, even fun, more cooler. fun. Um, So he got his B.A. in fine arts, specializing in studio art. Um, You said earrings. Yeah. I forgot to put this in a place that made sense. But uh, Rhodey's trademark is obviously his large collection of earrings that he wears in his left ear, all of which are souvenirs from his decades of travel to remote corners of the world. Cool. Now, if you don't know what we're talking about, just look up a picture or video of him. It's, It's more than it should be. That's it's maybe how I'll put it. Heavy. It's heavy. Yeah. It's a, it's kind of a thing. It's very. It's like it's borderline eccentric. Mm-hmm. I think it's eccentric. It yeah, is. it is. I mean, it goes. It. I would be like leaning <laughs> my head to the left. <laughs> I I actually work with a girl who had gauges in her ears a long time ago, yeah. and now she just has really large holes in her ears. Yeah. So she puts like three or four earrings in at a time, dangly earrings, and mm-hmm. just like layers them. And it looks really cool, but I always just thought she had really big earrings. And then I realized she just puts like four in each ear. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have a lot of friends who, like Tony, he had big gauge. Yeah. And it's like, that was a moment. It, it would kind of look dated, you know, if he wore those big, the wood, the wooden hoop of nothing things. Uh-huh. That, like, I don't know what that is. But yeah, it's just it's it's very 2008, <laughs> 2007 even. Back to when um, Kate was born. Yeah, back to yeah. when no one should be born. <laughs> That's not a year where anyone's born. But they did have wooden hoop earrings. They did. Um, so after graduating from Oxy, Rhodey taught in the theater department at the prep school that he had attended. And as luck would have it, the father of one of his students just so happened to be a Disney executive mm. who recruited him to work for Imagineering. And Rhodey blew him off. Oh. <laughs> Amazing. And he was uh, college age, you said. Yeah. Okay. He was Clean, graduate. Wow. So from an Oxy article about this, it says... Then Rhodey experienced a life-changing moment. Longtime Disney vice president of engineering, John Zovich's children were among his students, and Zovich had seen school productions featuring Rhodey's work. The theater department at the time did not have very big budgets, yet we made these rather impressive, elaborate productions in terms of set and costume design, Rhodey recalls. Mm. So Zovich comes into my office saying, you're wasting your time here, kid. You should be working for Walt Disney Imagineering. Um, and then Rody admits, I knew nothing about Walt Disney Imagineering, just nothing. Well, it was also, to be fair to his credit, it was in the 70s, yeah? Yes. So that's a different thing. Yeah. Walt it was Disney, more secretive. like More secretive. Yeah. Yeah. And more like, I mean, what's to even come? There's nothing really to compare it to now. Well, totally different thing. And it's like, there was no internet. No. So... You what does that mean? Bombarded with all of the stuff like we are now. Yeah, ten people knew what that even meant to begin with. Let alone like, what is the actual work Imagineering did? Yeah, it was just Disneyland proper, which is a totally different park then than now. Mm-hmm. So maybe it wasn't as impressive, you know, for this guy just graduated college. Mm-hmm. He wants to be an artist. He probably wanted his own creative, you know, output. Yep. Um, he said, the Disney company is never going to hire a person like me. Hair and hippie. There's no way. <laughs> wow. But Joe started at the Walt Disney Company in 1980. Wow. He says, I got this super entry-level job at a place I knew nothing about and didn't know how to do anything. 
Um, his original role was as a model designer at Epcot. Oh, my God. He worked as a sculptor at the Mexico Pavilion and also as a designer for the Norway Pavilion in the early 80s. In 83, back on his home coast, Rody worked on the refurbishment of the Fantasyland area of Disneyland. Which, single-handedly, is one of the, the best additions to that park. Yeah. I mean, because we went to Walt Disney World. That carnival-ass-looking Fantasyland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, and and to like to that effect, that was not Walt Disney's dream. That was not his imagination or um, his, his vision. vision. Yeah, thank you. His vision for Fantasyland. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, proof in that that he was pretty let down. Like that's not what he wanted. What kind of is today? Yeah. So that's that's a huge input on it's the just park. Just so rinkadink looking. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Um, he bounced back to Florida in the mid-80s, serving as a character developer for the Captain EO attraction that debuted in 1986. That's a wild ride. <laughs> wild ride. At the time, it was like, I think one of the biggest, um, the, the, no, it was the most expensive movie theater ever made. Wow. God. Yeah. And it was technically already a place. They just refurbished it, mm-hmm. redid it, and added this technology that freaking bizarre for its time was pretty wild because it's not just 3d it's 3d matched synced up with a ride or a well you're you're shaking in your seat yeah but i don't even remember that i just remember that it was michael jackson and there was (laughs) like some little creature that was with him i never understood it i still i can't i still can't tell you what it's about i don't remember it at all i just remember that it was really weird and it's like need to do an episode kind of star wars but not Eh, maybe. I don't know. I mean, would you call it proper Star Wars? It was next to Space Mountain, so it was supposed to be like a... space Wasn't it? Well, yeah, yeah, right next to it. Yeah. But like, yeah, and they can't, they're they kind of vague about Space Mountain being Star Wars related too. Right. Like they'll sell little lightsabers in the gift shop, but it's not really a Star Wars ride. No. Unless it's that overlay. The overlay, yeah. Yeah. Well, Joe Rohde's first foray into world building and truly immersive design began with the development of the Adventurers Club, a themed nightclub located in Pleasure <laughs> Island. Amazing. So do you know anything about Pleasure Island? I do. It sounds filthy. <laughs> a little bit. Um, so for those that don't know, I didn't. Um, this was a part of where Disney Springs now sits. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had, among other club experiences, every night at midnight... Um, there was the New Year's Eve was celebrated at Pleasure Island with a fireworks show. It every night? Every night. Every night. It was some bonkers Florida stuff. Okay. Really weird Florida Disney Park stuff. You know, you spend too much time around them gators. You, you get a little gatory. Don't know what that means. But Don't either. Gatorsome. 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 Which they did that on The Simpsons when they go to Itchy and Scratchy Land. There's Adult Parents Island or Adults right. Island. Right. And yeah. it's... Yeah, um, it's, it's basically New Year's that. Eve every like hour, and <laughs> I remember, so someone of them is like, "Oh my god, it must be so great to work here!" And there's like an employee that's like, "Kill me, kill me." <laughs> <laughs> the concept came from the idea of a private club for world travelers and explorers. Set in 1937, the walls were covered with images and artifacts from various explorations. The club featured a live cast of characters who performed shows and mingled with guests, along with animatronics and puppets. That does sound quite fun. <laughs> it sounds like kind of a nightmare to it's me. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's kind of a fever dream. Like real people coming and interacting with me and puppets. And animatronics. Mm. Yeah. So you hear like the click clacking of their mouths. <laughs> do you ever do you ever like say what Disneyland is out loud oh. to someone or to yourself and you just like, go, why the fuck do I like this? What are we doing? What's wrong with me? <laughs> yeah. So there's tons of people. The lines are crazy. Everything food is expensive. Is really, expensive really expensive. And not good. Not, Way overrated. <laughs> like, okay. But man, I can't wait to The go bathrooms back. smell like actual shit. Well, the whole place does, really. Yeah, I mean, the water. Not great. It's a strange smell. And taste. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking. Yeah. I was talking about like ride water, but the oh, drinking yeah. water. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Anaheim. Yet somehow water. we love it. Disney water. We need yeah, it. Yeah. We need it. <laughs> uh, well, the resulting project, the Adventurers Club, was ahead of its time. 
um, presciently predicting today's all-encompassing theme park worlds, populated mm-hmm. with living characters, ongoing narratives, and unexpected interactions. Well, you can see where mm-hmm. it was going, yep. like where Disney Imagineering was heading. And it may be silly now in the context of today, but that is like a precursor to all the things. So we know. many places. So many mm-hmm. places. Yeah. Um. Filled with puppets and not-so-hidden rooms and goofy songs, the Adventurers Club (laughs) was more or less immersive theater with tropical drinks all dedicated to a love of exploration. It just just occurred to me how many dipshit Florida kids just got loaded and went there. (laughs) Yeah, dude, let's take some speed. (laughs) Go to the Adventure Club. The Adventure Club. Uh, Rhodey said about the club, it foreshadowed Animal Kingdom. He says... Is that real real? Is that make-believe real? (laughs) I can't find the edge of real. Many of those artifacts were totally real. Some Mm. of what came out of people's mouths was totally historical and real. Some was not. Ah, cute. Um, On the design origins for the Adventurers Club, um, Joe Rohde's Instagram has um, a... A statement about it. There's a post about it. It's a great account, by the way. Highly recommend. Yeah, go follow it. Um, He says... Aficionados of defunct venues. This is the original sketch for the Adventurers Club, which used to be at Pleasure Island, which is now part of Disney Springs. I had a party at my house. I'm pretty sure it was actually a Halloween party. And Rick Rothschild, the producer of Pleasure Island, came to the party, noticed the peculiarly eclectic nature of the house, called me into his office Monday morning and said, I think I have a job for you. Originally, this was going to be a magic club like the Magic Castle in Los Angeles. I bet you'd love that, Ash. (laughs) Live magic? Yes. Um, And some vestiges that intention survived through all of the iterations, particularly the floating lantern effect in the treasure room. Adorable. The club played against people's expectations. We knew that they would have spent a day in the park and therefore would be expecting scripted performances and expecting that all of the animated objects to be programmed, not live, not able to talk to them Mm -hmm. or interact with them. So we did a relatively unscripted show with lots of room for improv. And with a single exception, everything that moved or talked to you was a puppet, actually operated by one of the actors who had recently been on stage and probably already had a conversation with you no way so these puppets knew an awful lot about you by the time they started talking oh wow that's so creepy when we first started costumes and performances were very sly as close to realistic as we could get away with but that was too subtle we needed the characters to be broad enough that you knew they weren't just weirdos (laughs) (laughs) that there was actually a show going on yeah 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 (laughs) I mean, who's this guy talking to me? About very personal things. Do we need to call the cops or give him a tip? I don't really know what to do. <laughs> Both. Uh, people who attempt to emulate the Adventurers Club often mistake the theme. The core theme was not adventure. The club is a satirical deconstruction of a pompous Adventurers Club. Mm. None of the key characters were successful adventurers. Oh, that's so much better. I love that. Yeah. A bunch of misfits. Um, The core theme was club, inclusion, recognition, and togetherness. It was about belonging. Everyone was welcome and everyone was made to feel special. All the interesting props served as prompts for conversations. If you come here as a stranger, you'll exit as a friend. That was part of the creed of the club. And that was the clearest expression of its theme. I just love this. Like, there's such a common theme in Disney Disney just generally, but especially the Disney parks of like, like the Tiki Room or, or the Jungle Cruise where it's like, it's, it's so playful. Mm -hmm. Like this pretend, I mean, obviously that's what Disneyland is. It's all pretend, but to like be a 40 year old and pretend that I'm on like a safari cruise totally, or I'm in some weird adventure club or I'm in a, a Tiki lounge in the middle of some Polynesian wherever yeah, You know, like that's, they do it so well and it's so fun that I think often people that are cynical about Disneyland, the Disney parks in general, don't get that part of it. Mm-hmm. They think that it's all eight-year-old girls going to a castle and it's like, that's the make-believe part. Right. It's like, no, it's it's very playful, designed by guys like this. Right. Or it's eccentric, it's, fun, creative weirdos. <laughs> like, it's so much more 
like the depth of the story yes. is so much more than people might think 100... if they aren't into it. Like so far that even us who are Disney Park dorks, we don't even get the depth of it. Well, and I think that's the problem with certain places in the park. Yeah. It hasn't reached that same level of like deep storytelling. Yeah. Which I think I is agree. a huge I reason agree. that Tomorrowland is the way that it is. Is it's just kind Doesn't of work. like, yeah. I don't feel like I'm in space. No. I don't feel like I'm in the future. I feel no. like I'm in but Tomorrowland at Disneyland. Yes. You walk yes. into Adventureland and you're like, I have just been transported. Totally. There's this like bazaar next to me. The yeah. jungle cruise. Yeah, totally. totally. Yeah, totally. 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 Jinx, you me a Coke. There's one in the fridge. Go get it. Oh, there is actually. (laughs) Personally, when I think of Rhodey, I think of Animal Kingdom. Yes. Which is probably my favorite park of all Disney World. Is it fair to say that's what he's most known for? Yeah, I would say so. That's like his crowning achievement, right? Yeah. Um, After all, Disney's Animal Kingdom isn't just gorgeously and meticulously themed. It's an advocacy-based park for wildlife conservation, and the entire park was built around its authenticity. This is exactly what I was saying. Like, you, You just can't really explain to someone that... Well, what's Animal Kingdom? Well, they have like... So it's like a zoo with like, like zoo roller with coasters? A... No. It, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you... Oh, that is, that's like exactly that's what broad... it is. Yeah. yeah. But... <laughs> but you feel like you're walking through like India at points and uh-huh. Nepal and... Yeah, it's... That's not what I thought it would be. Not for me Tibetan either. prayer flags everywhere and it it's such a convincing place. It's really amazing. Well, Rhodey wanted guests to have a genuine understanding of the relationship between mankind and nature, which really reminds me of Walt's original intentions for Adventureland when you think mm-hmm. about it. Like, yeah, you know, you probably don't have an opportunity to go all of these places. So we're just going to bring them here to you and yep. have it be an educational, fun thing that you can do. And, and the crappy thing about Anaheim, it's the beautiful thing about that park. But also the limiting thing is that it's so small. Yeah. So Adventureland is an alleyway. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's so small. And it is pretty dated because pretty dated. it was yeah. built in a yeah. time, you know. Totally. I these... mean, they built Animal Kingdom in a tropical Florida nature reserve. And it was did a already much better there. job of making it um, respectful mm-hmm. of, right. of like, the modern way. It yeah. wouldn't make yeah. sense to have live animals anywhere near Adventureland. No. Oh, God, no. God. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> we forget if you, you forget if you see a cat running around. Right. Yeah. Like, this seems odd. Yeah, but that'll never change. I'll always freak out when I see a cat. Yeah. <laughs> Best attraction there. Yep. Um, Joe traveled to some of the most remote areas of the world to learn firsthand the local flora and fauna that would be featured. Amazing. Um, He says, so I get an assignment to do a project that Eisner wants to call the Animal Kingdom. Nobody wants this job. They don't believe it's going to get built, and everyone conceptualizes it in terms of pre-existing phenomena like a zoo. Because of that, I'm able to get this assignment with very limited pedigree behind me. (laughs) So breaking ground in 1990, the 580-acre Animal Kingdom, divided into seven themed areas, took eight years to build. 580 acres. Yep. Sarah, what's the acreage of Disneyland? Three, two, one. Is that right? (laughs) I think so. We said it last, maybe two episodes ago. I think it was about that. Because I don't remember. I don't either. I mean, I have no, like... I think I just made that number up. How many acres was Neverland? I don't remember that either. I would say it was like it. 80, I think it was 90. hundreds. Talk amongst oh, yourself. I'm going to look at that. <laughs> okay. Answer. Disneyland covers a total 500 acres when combining Disneyland and California Adventure. In comparison, Disneyland is much smaller than Disney World in Orlando, Florida, which measures 43 square miles or 27,520 acres. There you go. I wow. didn't answer any of my questions, but I no. appreciate the information. I know. I, need, I want to know Disneyland proper. Which you could Well, probably... it would be about... Half. Yeah, 370, I think it was actually less. I think it's less. I don't think it's as big as DCA. Yeah. yeah. And it can't be, right? Well, and that probably also includes all of downtown Disney and oh. Oh, the resorts. resorts. Right. So. Yeah. I think you're probably more 
in line with like a couple hundred acres. I think it was even less. Or less. I, I want to say it was like 120, and then Dolly World was like 150. That Which we makes were it surprised so brilliant. It was so much bigger. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait a second. Ugh. Um, with a storytelling message built around animal conservation and nature, not, quote, once upon a time, the park was a unique challenge. Rody asks, what does it mean to be Disney inside this thing? Mm-hmm. One of the first premises is that we will not be able to use that whole purified, idealized look. That Disney aesthetic implies that I'm walking inside of a story that I know, he adds. Yeah. With characters on a plot. And that's not the story of wild and live animals. Mm-hmm. It's not. I mean, there are parts of the park that feel Disney-fied and have a IP. Like, I mean, I can't even actually, now no, that I think about it. Not really. Not really. Well, that's why it's Pandora. So, but, that, yeah. but that's like an obscure, I mean, yeah, I was going to say Avatar, but that was, you know, purchased by the Disney company. And so they incorporated it. I think that's the story. But either either way, my point being, you know, Avatar isn't the most Disney thing I think of. Mm-mm. Sort of like a five down the line. Right. <laughs> but somehow it does feel Disney and I I don't know how they do it. I think it's just Disney quality. I think it's just mm-hmm. Disney. That's the answer. And that's that what is it is. Disney why it way. feels that way. But it doesn't feel like you're at Disneyland. No, that part where you're walking towards Everest and it yeah. truly feels like you're in Nepal and there's those monkeys swinging all around. Uh-huh. The, screaming the, screaming hour. Hour. the screaming hour. The screaming hour. The screaming hour. Oh, God, I love them so much. <laughs> They're just hollering at each other. Oh, what a life. <laughs> Uh, in an interview with D23, <laughs> Rody stated, So that set some wheels in motion for a design culture that was really based on research, based on science, based on collaborating with people outside of the company who had knowledge and interests separate from our own. Mm-hmm. That was a really, I underlined that because that was really critical to me. Um, it made it possible to do a category of work that wasn't really based on our own intellectual property. It's really based on ideas that come from the world. And I think that that's why it doesn't make me feel exploitative to be in Animal Kingdom is yeah. because yeah. you have that influence of, you know, someone else, someone else is outside of Disney um, ensuring that these interests for the animals are being met. Yeah. And right. And for conservation efforts are being met. Oh, for sure. You get that feeling the whole way through. Yeah. Yeah. So then Animal Kingdom opened in 1998, and Rody had forever changed Disney's entire design approach. He was also the, pre, uh, the principal creative force behind Expedition Everest, mm. our favorite attraction at Walt Disney World, at least mine. I mean, it's, yeah, it's top two, top three. We'll see after we do the Ratatouille ride and the New Guardians. Yeah. We'll see. Oh, God. I can't wait. <laughs> I know. I can't. Take me there now. Um, his passion is evident in the countless small details in the Everest attraction queue, which is one of his, oh. his favorite parts of the park. Mm-hmm. Oh I love that God. queue that, so much. It's so well done. The yeah. like, I, I mean, there's just no way for me to explain the level of detail. Yeah. You truly feel like you're going on this expedition. Well, and it looks like you're walking through where a bunch of people had been before. Had been before yep. and left their stuff. Left their stuff and there's yeah. their findings and like the Yeti print and Yeah. There's you know that's like, a and that's a real print, by the way. There's like hiking, hiking gear, gear. Yeah. just left. Yeah. It looks like it's just abandoned just on a, the side. Which is it's kind it's kind of a spooky ride. Well, cuz that's Everest. That's Everest. <laughs> it's like and you're like where did all the hikers go and then you hear <laughs> Rawr! in the background. <laughs> So, so Rody took a lead role in the creation of Pandora, a project that took six years to complete, opening in May of 2017. Though the area is inspired by intellectual property, Rody took care to ensure that the purpose of this land would continue that Animal Kingdom focus on themes of conservation and connection to nature. Great example of an attraction that, like, Avatar was a moment. When it came out, I admittedly was blown away. I saw it in 3D in a time where, like, that was the first movie ever in 3D. So it was kind of a thing. It was, like, the first of the new 3D. Yeah, it was And really, it was so, like, it was so, so well done. It was so, and it was incorporated in the story. Anyway, that was great. But, like, 
after that, I didn't really care about that story. Not really. And what I'm saying is like, I don't have a huge attachment to Avatar, but I love that attraction. Mm-hmm. The queue is so impressive, especially at night. Well, it's a whole land. Yeah, the whole land. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeez, you're right. The whole those rock yeah. formations and oh my yeah. God. Um, he says, rather than making this land about the movie and what happened to characters in the movie, we need to make it be about the world of the movie and what the world has to teach us about our world. Um, an estimated cost of $500 million. Oh, that's it. Was paid for this. Which is more than twice of the budget of Avatar itself. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, by the way, I, in real time, just remembered the scope of that land. Yeah. I kept thinking of the Flight attraction. Flight of Passage. Yeah. yeah, I'm just now remembering how big that whole land is. Yeah. <laughs> that is so impressive. Yep. Rhodey and his team's Pandora invites guests into a world of floating mountains, bioluminescent fauna, and extraterrestrial creatures coming to life. He says, imagine the most complicated architectural job ever being done, coupled with the need to make all of that more richly detailed than any opera set you will ever see. (laughs) Just the amount of like layering and the visual layering and and depending on where you're standing. And And the sounds. The sound. I was just going to say that. The combination of like real things mixed in with like engineered things. Mm -hmm. Like it was just so him. And I've worked construction. The The small amount of engineering I am aware of is like, that makes that so impressive. The, like, do you know what shotcrete is? It's concrete that you spray, uh-huh. basically. Right. And all of those formations are probably that, because I know how they did the, um, the radiator springs rocks. Right. You know, because that's how you can form them. Yeah, exactly. It's basically a net. Not to ruin the magic, but. You're ruining the magic. That's a giant rock. What are you talking yeah, about? Sorry, sorry, sorry. That's real, real rocks. Um, some of his other n- notable projects. So, Rhodey led the team that transformed the former Tower of Terror at Disneyland uh, California Adventure, sorry, into Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, which mm. opened also in May of 2017. This was a challenging task as the Disney company wanted to keep the attraction's general drop mechanics the same, but wanted to completely change the, the entire ride. Right. The changes had to be evident in not only the overall theming and details, but also the emotional experience necessary for a Marvel slash Guardians attraction. By the way, that's a hard task. Yeah. Like you take this ride that is essentially just an elevator shaft and it was (laughs) themed to the Twilight Zone. A whole generation of people knew it as such and they loved it. And then you like, that's your, that's your task now is to now attached that to a whole different IP. It has an entirely different vibe. Yeah. And rabid fan base. And not just phone right. it in. Yeah, <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's one of the longest ri- or longest lines in the park. Like yeah. People adore that ride, us yep. included. Yeah. Uh, the emotion had to be completely different than that of Tower of Terror, but still had to exist in the same physical space with the same ride mechanics. Mm-hmm. Mm. The rethemed attraction also had to appeal to a huge variety of guests, from those who had no experience whatsoever with the Guardians franchise to Marvel superfans. I mean, yeah, done. Yeah, Sarah, check, check, <laughs> totally. Um, so when the Aulani Disney Resort in Hawaii was first conceptualized, Rhodey was a natural choice for designing it. Which I want to go to. We will be on that island. But we won't be there. No. The man is so meticulous, every detail of the Alani Resort has meaning and purpose that connects to specific Hawaiian ideals and origins. Mm. In a 2014 interview with Walt, uh, with Disney Parks blog, Rhodey recounted, The resort was designed to reflect a sense of Hawaiian valley opening out toward the ocean from highlands to lowlands. This organization has many connotations. One being the Hawaiian concept of time itself flowing like fresh water from the past, which is in the mountains, to the future, which is in the sea. I just thought that was interesting. That's very cool. Have you seen that that whole resort? It, it has like, from what I've seen, those little, um, what do you call them? Like floating rivers? Oh, you know? yeah. Lazy rivers. Lazy, lazy, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And it's like integrated throughout the entire resort. Yeah. Rad. Apparently it's amazing. Um, a few more facts about Rhodey's influence in the parks. Uh, Rhodey lent his voice to the Alexander Graham Bell animatronic <laughs> on the American Adventure stage. So, Cute. There you He's go. He's also apparently in the like some of the video footage in the queue uh, to Captain EO. 
Ah. Which we can't see anymore because it's right. not there. But apparently it was there. Oh. Um, and then, of course, next time you're in line for Avatar Flight of Passage, keep an eye out for a small set of three human handprints with initials beneath them, JR, JC, and JL, which are Joe Rohde, James Cameron, and John Landau, who is wow. the film's producer. Very cool. That's awesome. we are looking for that when we go there in January. Oh, yeah. show. Oh, God, we're going in January. <laughs> um, and then there is the Harrison... No. And then there is Harrison Highwater, the villain of Tokyo Disney Sea's Tower of Terror, mm. which was, in fact, inspired by Rhodey's Travels. The attraction takes place in the Hotel Hightower, which was built and run by Harrison Highwater, who went on many expeditions all over the world and collected artifacts along the way. Like me. Yes. <laughs> That's how I see myself. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, more recently, on November 23rd, 2020, Rhodey announced his retirement from Walt Disney Imagineering to be effective January 4 of the next year. I understand him retiring. You got to do it eventually. But it always bummed me out that he did it in one of the darkest times in American history. Because I, I remember it happening. You're like, don't leave me. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm a I'm a big Disney fan, but I'm not I'm not like a crazy super fan. There's people that are like profoundly bummed by that. So have, hey, get a life. But it just did kind of suck that like he represented so much like forward thinking and amazing Imagineering and. I don't know. It was like in a time where Disney wasn't doing great and all the parks were closed and, and then he quit and then we get a new CEO and it's just like... Yeah, well, that was kind of a rough time. Yeah. My guess, though, is he'll still have... He'll be dipping his toes and stuff. I'm sure. Yeah, I don't think it's possible I, I don't think that guy like that. could just stop. <laughs> I, I really don't. Um, it is too bad that he won't be at least leading, if not at least a part of the... Um, transformation from Splash to Tiana. Oh, God, that's right. Because I could imagine that he would do oh, he would such nail it. a great job. But... I know. <laughs> I mean... There's got to be yeah. someone else. There's always someone else, and they're going to kill it. There's so. a there's a 27-year-old right, right now yeah. doing this, and they're going to be the next... Someone who's just been waiting for Joe Rody yeah, to retire. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, February 22nd of 2021, right after he was um, done with Imagineering, Virgin Galactic announced that Joe Rody had been hired as their experience architect. Weird. What's an experience ar- architect? I also, don't know. what's Virgin Galactic? It's Virgin, like Richard Branson's. Yeah, I know what it is, but also, <laughs> what is it? You know what I mean? It's their space wing. Yeah, again, going to keep asking. <laughs> What does that mean? Is he is he helping spaceship designs? Is he well, helping with the recently billionaire Richard Branson made a historic flight into space with Virgin Galactic, and he wasn't the only special payload on the flight. In an Instagram post, Rody revealed that some of his own treasured artifacts made made it into space, including a few of his iconic earrings. Oh, that's kind of cool. I know. How do you guys feel about all these billionaires going to space right now? It's weird. Yeah. Like William Shatner, his pudgy millionaire ass just floating around. <laughs> it's just like the elite. Yeah, I don't know. There's something weird about it. Yeah. Well, maybe it's going to bite him in the butt. Maybe something really bad is going to happen. And, maybe they got uh, infected with like an alien or something. <gasps> if anyone would, it would be William Shatner. Hey, what a weird guy. What a weird name. Do you know the, the Michael Myers mask? You know what that is? You know, the Halloween yeah. mask? Yeah. Do you know what that is? No. That's William Shatner's, uh, what do you call it? It's like his ne- negative. His visage. It's, it's It was a mask of him yeah. for Star Trek and that they just took and painted the mold. it white. That's what it's called. Wow. Yeah. It's it's literally his face mold. They just painted that white and that is the Halloween mask. Can you imagine someone taking your face and turning it into this One of the scariest character? villains. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be pretty honored, <laughs> That's actually. That's funny. Um, I just want to finish up talking a little bit about Joe's philosophy. Let's do it. So, cute story, first of all. <laughs> Early in the pandemic, Rody spent weeks reimagining the cracks in the sidewalk outside his home. What? Crafting fantastical worlds and asking social media followers to theorize who could live in them and oh. what their history could be and what it might be like to visit them. The thing is, I'm sure he meant that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he really wanted input on that. Exactly. Yeah. It was a creative exercise, but also a reminder to be present in the moment. Mm. 
It was also a love letter to expertly designed themed environments. He says, These environments are needed. Whether you believe in Disney or not, whether you sit in the theater with your arms crossed trying not to have this thing affect you, there is a story for you at some point in your life. No. Um, And then Rhodey on why Disney parks are so expensive but worth it, he says on his Instagram account. Fun. In the business of entertainment design, you will come across people who will say, why can't it just be fun? This question is often actually an accusatory form of microaggression and really means, why are you wasting so much time on intellectual BS and overbred aesthetic sensibility? But there is a logical answer. Fun is cheap. I can have fun in an inflatable pool in my backyard. I can have fun playing basketball by the garage. I can have fun watching videos of snarky cats. (laughs) This fun costs very little. An inflatable pool costs 50 bucks or less and can be used many times. A trip to a major entertainment venue like a Broadway play or a theme park can cost many hundreds of dollars per visit, all in all. So, are these places just plain fun? Are they hundreds or thousands of times more fun than shooting silly string at each other on the porch? Probably not. Therefore, fun cannot possibly be the motivating factor in the compulsive, repetitive, overscale patronage of the theme park industry. The motive is simply not competitive enough based on other options. People must be paying this kind of money and making this kind of effort for a reward that is of higher value, Mm. more rare and and greater impact than fun. That reward is many things, among which is the sensation of transport to being moved magically into another place or another time. It is the intensity of experience which results in permanent memories. Mm -hmm. It is the rare sensation of cohesiveness, harmony, and thematic organization which allows the human brain to relax and be absorbed. I could go on, but all of these properties reside in the obsessive execution of coordinated detail resulting in places with a strange otherworldly attraction. And that is not cheap. In fact, theme parks are repositories of human time, effort, and yes, money, which guests sense through the level of detail, organization, and intensity. Theme parks are a form of communication between designers and audiences. They are relationships. People like worthy, meaningful, invested relationships, not cheap ones. I love all of that. Well said. God, that's so beautiful. While you're saying that, like, again, that is just so... It's why we love these places. Yep. It's why we got infected with this place. It's why, like, earlier in the conversation, we were, we were saying, you know, do you ever find yourself saying this out loud mm-hmm. and then asking, wait, why am I into this? That's why. Yeah, this is That's it. why. That's why. <laughs> yep. That's that is it. why. Just point to that. Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder, like, people like him who have so much impact – is Disney Imagineering, specifically Imagineering, is it based on people like him? Or is it based on a concept from Walt Disney distilled down to people like him? In other words, are you worried that he retired? Or or, or no. do you think the torch will just always be passed down? It's I, integrated. Yeah, I think it's far more integrated the than Disney that. The Disney way. The... Yeah, because there's tons of stuff he didn't have any part in that mm-hmm. yeah. is just, just as, as wonderful. Although I have to say... Galaxy's Edge. But the stuff that he has been a part of is like, it's up there with the best stuff. It's kind of the best it stuff. It kind of is the best yeah, stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well. That was awesome. God, it's so yeah. good. Thank you, Joe Rude. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. Joe Rude. <laughs> Sorry. Joe Rody. Rody spelled really not very conveniently. Not at all. Uh, my sources for Wikipedia, MickeyBlog.com, LA Times, the Disney Vacation Club shop website, Walt Disney World News Today, KennyThePirate.com. Kenny the Pirate. <laughs> and the Oxy Campaign for Good. Cool. Well, thank you, Ash. That was really well done. You, she said to me that you had like 15 pages yeah, of I had... research that you distilled down yeah. <laughs> to like a readable Shoot. amount. Yeah. yeah. He's got so. a lot of stuff. Which is why... It's so stressful to think about actually planning even one episode. Oh, you don't have to go that crazy. That's just me. I'm so glad you do that. (laughs) That's why I have another podcast coming out, just to tease you. Because I can't help myself. By the way, (laughs) we 
Let's just tell them. We've recorded a, f- a handful, we'll say. And um, this is an Ashley-driven show. Is it? I'm a, I'm a guest on it probably pretty often. But again, this is, this is Ashley's show. Are, are you ready to say the name of it? Stay tuned. Okay. Ah, it's coming. Okay. okay. Cute, cute, oh. It's coming. I'm and stoked. There's some really great um, topics coming. Yeah, all the, all the stuff that you always wanted to research and talk about. But I can't make it fit into Disney. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and obviously, That's fantastic. Well, we've discussed it. Like we're we're certainly broadening the scope of what we talk about on this show. Absolutely. But it always has an anchor of like Disney pop culture. Well, that's fandom, just because that's who we are. Because that's who we are. Right. Three of us get together. That's what we're going to talk about. Yep. But um, no, we're, I'm really excited about this, Ash. And they're cool. they're all fun, like digestible topics. Short uh-huh. little so, tasty bits. Short little tasty nice. bits. Yeah. I would love to recommend something to you all that I discovered yesterday. And I can't say that it's all great because I've only watched the first three episodes. But it is called Jendi Tartakovsky's Primal. <laughs> uh, you said some words. Yep. And Jendi is spelled G-E-N-N-D-Y Tartakovsky's Primal. That's the full name of it. It is... An Adult Swim Emmy-winning series. Um, the f- Let's see. It was... Animated, you say? Yes, it's animated. It started in 2019, and um, there's a season two coming out, or maybe is already out. I don't even know. It, we found it on HBO Max. It is the story of a caveman mm-hmm. whose family is violently eaten by a dinosaur in the first 10 seconds of the first episode. And then so he he's all basically goes to avenge the dinosaurs or avenge his family by killing the dinosaurs. And he, in the process, makes friends. I'm going to use the word friends lightly <laughs> with a T-Rex. Lovely. There is no dialogue. Oh, great. Because it's a caveman and a dinosaur. Right. They don't talk. Uh, it is absolutely beautiful heartwarming tragic uh be prepared to see things that you think are gonna stick around just not because they're gonna die violently <laughs> um but it's just like one of those things you found you're like what the heck is this it's incredible by the way that's those are my favorite kind of picks <laughs> i can't stop thinking about it right it's so good one day you didn't know it existed and there's they're like 20 wow. 25 minute episodes oh perfect um I highly recommend at least the first three episodes. Past Ooh. that, I can't, I can't vouch I for it because I haven't started. That's rare. Very good. Awesome. Also, one more recommendation is the Instagram account Cheap Old Houses. Oh, yeah. Me too. Yep. It's, what, is, what is that? Oh, it's basically like we were talking about decrepit old barns. Oh. But it's not necessarily decrepit. It's yeah. just like weird. Okay. Like things that are zoned funky or they're falling down completely or they're a historic home that need to be renovated. I'm talking about like a five bedroom home on land in Iowa for like $25,000. Yeah. Oh, wow. But you have to prove that you have the money to restore it. And, um, you know, sometimes they're like these amazing homes, but now they're zoned commercial. So you have to turn it into a store or something. Anyway, it's awesome. so cool. It's fun to pretend just, window shop. <laughs> totally. I keep sending them to Josh like, hey, guess what? what? There's a church in Scotland for sale for $11,000. Make it happen. Buy it. We're yeah, doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It comes with its own graveyard. <laughs> Does it now? God, I want to live there. I know. <laughs> I'm like, kidding. it almost be worth it to just buy it so we could just go there. Yeah. <laughs> just stay there. Like, you could just stay there for a summer for $11,000 and then just like, Sell it. I don't know. Sell it. Airbnb it out. People are weird. They'd want it. Dude, totally. 100%. This is why I need to be wealthy because I need things like that. But you have to restore it because it's an old church. I'll do that. It's probably some kind of special. I'll just pay someone. You know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Good picks. Um, I'll go next year. This is a movie we actually watched last night and I've seen it. I think Ashley's seen it a few times as well. And that is a 2014 movie. Starring Jake Gyllenhaal. See what I did, guys? Oh. And all uh-huh, ties uh-huh. in. And Rene Russo, Bill Paxton is in it, a.k.a. AKA the wrong Bill, the wrong Bill Died. Bill died. 
um, bunch of James people. was like, wait, is he the wrong Bill died or is he the right Bill died? I was like, <laughs> they're both the wrong Bill died. <laughs> yeah, Bill Paxton or Bill Pullman are both the wrong Bill died. Yep. It's such a shitty thing to say. Yep. Um. Anyway, it's called Nightcrawler. Have you seen this, Sarah? I don't think so. Incredible movie. Really? So, How have so, you not seen Nightcrawler? So I don't know. Oh, if you're a Jake I might John have. fan. So it's basically oh. based in L.A. Real weird movie. Yes, I have seen Nightcrawler. He like films yes. news and sells the news clips? Yes. Okay. Yes, I have seen it. So it starts with like a real disturbing looking guy who's just desperately trying to find work. Just He just can't get it figured out. And he stumbles across a crash on the highway. It's, it's very L.A. Mm-hmm. Middle of the night in L.A. He pulls up to the wreck and he sees that like Bill Paxton, Bill Paxton's character, is filming it. And he asks him, like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, well, this is, this is our job. We film things like this, tasty news bits, and then we sell the footage to the stations. And so anyway, he, he becomes what's called a night crawler. These bastards who go and chase around accidents and like stabbings and shootings. And they vulture, they're vultures. They, they, they film the stuff and then they sell the footage to news. To like, yeah. The media. It's very, it's very popular in LA. There's a lot of these roaming herds of vans yeah. that have like police scanners. They're ambulance chasers, basically. Um, I'm going to have to watch it again. Cause I know I've seen it, but I, it's like, flashes of it are coming to me it's so good and his character he's like such a sociopath just a complete psycho void of human emotion mm-hmm. and i'll just kind of leave it at that like <laughs> but it's really good because it's very you know like kind of artsy and a, a reflection on on us mm-hmm. like we are him like we are just as bad we want the tasty bits right and yeah so anyway it, it's really well done highly recommend it okay great cool. movie check it out the animal hero of the week is an emotional support alligator named walligator come on what thank you to the bananas podcast and washington post for giving me this information i Wall-Gator? saw this one it's so good that's why i looked at you i was like she has to have seen oh, this man. yeah Joe Henney's emotional support animal, Walligator, goes with him almost everywhere, from the grocery store to walks in the park. They hug each other and sleep in the same bed. <clears throat> Walligator, a.k.a. Wally, is a seven-year-old, five-and-a-half-foot alligator. Ah. Joe says, when he turns his nose towards you, that means he expects a kiss. Is he going to get bigger? I don't think so. He's seven. Okay. Um, so he lives just outside of Philly. In he says, Philadelphia? Yeah. He's a Pennsylvania gator. Um, He says, he's super sweet-natured. The two watch television together on the couch, and when Joe takes him to the farmer's market, Wally gives hugs to shoppers. Um, Joe has handled alligators for 30 years, and he said that he noticed from the first day that Wally Gator was different. He said he was surprised when he was a baby gator and didn't try to bite him when he held him or fed him chicken legs and dead rats. (laughs) Well, that's why. He says, he wouldn't eat live rats. And he really showed a love for cheesy popcorn. Yay! Oh, oh good boy. Um, Wally's easygoing personality led Joe to get the gator licensed as an emotional support animal. And the alligator has provided comfort for him as he has undergone radiation treatments for cancer. He says, he's just lovable. He sleeps with me, steals my pillows, steals my blankets. He's just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> And here's Wally. So I can can't see him. imagine a less cozy animal to sleep with. But look at oh, him. He's but he's so cute. He's got his ever. chin up on his shoulder. So here's the deal, man. <laughs> My He's got an elbow. I do the whole like I ping pong this concept back and forth. On one hand, I think that's absurd. Mm-hmm. Right? Hey. You're a grown ass man with a friggin alligator if you've bonded with this alligator but then why on the is other it hand, different than a cat and and it is. it's a free country <laughs> and because maybe it is. it is he likes cheesy popcorn but as long as he's not a danger to society right he's not mm-hmm. he's walligator i'm on board sure. whatever gets you through the day when man. he puts his nose next to you it means he went smoochies i don't know i think people are just kind of dicks <laughs> about it you know like people that have support animals on flights like what do you care who cares? Yeah, as long as it's not a stinky 
Alligator. Alligator. <laughs> <laughs> a five foot long alligator. Oh God. Someone brought their parrot into the restaurant I work in. Yeah. And they were sitting outside and everything, but they left behind this little like bottle, like a shaker bottle that says Paul salts on the top. It very much looks like human ashes. Uh, I think it is actually like the powder that they put on birds to clean them. Uh huh. Because we opened it and smelled it. So <laughs> the parrot was named Paul. Sort of smells like basil. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I think the parrot's name is Sammy. So I don't know who's salts. I don't know who Paul is. Maybe huh. Paul's the name of the guy. We all know the the bird's name, but not. Yeah, <laughs> of course. I don't know the guy's name. Right. But I like yeah, that. Yeah. I. It was just left behind, though, and everyone was speculating, what is it? Is it ashes? Did somebody leave their grandma's ashes here? <laughs> and then we sniffed it, and I was like, well, I don't think so. And then I realized, this was left by the bird guy. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I think we did it. Yep. Oh, We provided. Oh, okay, I talked we to We provided. <laughs> We've provided. We've provided a podcast for you. <laughs> You're welcome. And on that note, thanks for listening to another episode of Disney Dependent. See you real soon. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Disney Dependent. And you can send us an email at DisneyDependent at gmail.com. This podcast is produced by Producer Ash. The logo is by Ryan Hatch, and you can find him at WR Hatch on Instagram. The music is by Ryan Knowles, and you can find him at Ryan Allen Knowles on Instagram. This show is mixed and edited by Deanna Chapman. You can find Deanna at Deanna underscore Chapman. And this has been a Team Dynamite Goat production. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the show, and we'll be back here next week. <laughs>